Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Before we jump into the show, let's get the contact information out of the way. You can contact me several different ways. I have the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. You can also record an MP3 or WAV file and email that to me. If you're not comfortable with recording an audio message, please feel free to contact me via email, and I'll read your comments out on the next show. The address for both email and audio content is firearmscafe at gmail.com. That's all one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. I also have a Facebook listener page, a Twitter account, and a YouTube channel. There are buttons for these at the website, which is firearmscafe.com, so please go there and click on these buttons and like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and subscribe to me on YouTube. They are all free. If you would like to support the show financially, at the website there is an Amazon search box. If you use it, Amazon will give me a finder's fee on any products that you buy at no additional cost to you. I also have a donate button through PayPal. I'm looking forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you for spending your time with me and listening to the show. Hey, gang, this is Masad Ayub. I'm here to tell you to take yourself and ideally your kids and your grandkids to an Appleseed Project shooting event. It's about history. It's about pride in your country. And not incidentally, it's about marksmanship and having a whole lot of fun. I hope to see you there. Hey everybody, what is going on? Today is Sunday. It's the 29th of March, 2015. Glad to be back with you guys. The last Firearms Cafe I did was back in March 2nd, I believe, and the last Armed Ape I did was March 8th. So it's been a couple of weeks, but I actually do have legitimate reasons this time. My daughter's school is a year-round type school, and that means she gets a little bit longer breaks sometimes. And for spring break, she actually gets two weeks. So on this particular time, we were able to plan it out to where we went from Arizona out to Florida and, and did the Disney cruise. After that, we did some theme parks back in Orlando, which is Universal. And I think the other one is called Islands of Adventure. And they're all owned by Universal, I'm sure. Anyway, lots of fun. Now, during this whole time, I did not have a firearm with me, which I felt kind of uh, a little bit naked. I'm so used to having one on me and carrying it around all the time. Part of the problem was because we were doing the cruise first, and Disney Disney does not allow any weapons on board, so no guns, no knives, anything like that. They, don't, they wouldn't even let you bring on pepper spray or stuff like that, as far as I know. So if I were to go down to Florida and take my gun with me for the time that we would be in Florida. So for the the second week that we were going to be there, I would have had to try and find some place to actually store it. Uh, I don't know if like a gun store would have maybe done it for me. I I don't know if they'd want the liability of it. Uh, I don't know if I could have found maybe at a, you know, at a bus station or something, you know, how you, you see that they have those storage lockers and you just leave it in there. And again, I don't know that I would even want to do anything like that. Um, and I didn't really know anybody who sort of lived in that area or I didn't know of anybody that 
that again, I would know well enough to be able to say, oh, we'll come in here and I'll leave my gun with you. And then when I get back and, and I'm in Florida, my permit is honored here. And so I can, I can carry a weapon and that type of stuff. So anyway, I went a couple of weeks without it and, uh, I did take my knife with me. Now, of course you can't take the knife on the cruise ship and what they do is they, they just take it and they just keep it for you. And then when you're getting off the ship, they just give it back to you and it's not a big deal. Uh, now they would not have taken a, a firearm or anything like that. Cause again, they don't want the liability of it, but with a knife, it's not a big deal. Uh, the knife that I had with me was the Spyderco Endura four, which is one I carry on a daily basis. And I, I really like that knife. I actually ended up getting that off of eBay. So I paid about half price. The blade had a little bit of a, um, of a blemish on it. And, but it, I was able to kind of just, you know, polish it right out. You can still kind of see it a little bit, but you know, for me, it's not that big a deal. It's a little bit of a discoloration, uh, but it's a good knife and I really, I really like that. So anyway, uh, kind of enough of the, uh, where have I been type junk while I've been gone, man, there's been a lot of stuff that's been going on. Um, right before I left, you know, they had the proposed ammo ban, which is what was it? The, uh, M850, M855, I think is what it was. And of course that, uh, I think there was maybe a little bit too much public pressure, a little bit too much backlash. And they, they went ahead and, uh, took a step back from it. Do I think it's going to come again? I, I think it will. Some, some of the questions are, you know, was this a plot by the Obama administration? Was it, did it come right down from him? Did it come from maybe somebody like in Holder's office? Did it come from, you know, an anti-gun person who, who came to him and said, Hey, this is what you could try. You could try this or that, or, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, or was it simply a thing that with ATF, they decided, Oh, we're, this is, uh, this ammunition kind of meets our interpretation of something that should be banned. And I kind of tend to think that it is maybe a little bit more of the ATFs doing or, or the, the majority of the stuff was probably in the ATFs corner. And one of the reasons, and probably the main reason I have for thinking that is that you're dealing with a, a huge bureaucracy and bureaucracies are filled with people that are yes men and filled with people that don't have a lot of ideas. Now it doesn't mean that everybody who works at a place like that is a dope or is, or is, is a total yes man or doesn't take their job seriously or, or doesn't want to kind of get rid of the bad guys or go after the bad guys. But what it means is, is that a lot of people in order to justify their position at that agency are always looking for some little feather to put in their cap and they don't have any, they don't have any, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The phrase I'm looking for. They have no concern If, if what they're doing would severely restrict somebody's freedom or may even be unconstitutional or just be flat out kind of wrong, what they want to do is they want to just further their own, their own career or, uh, 
make it so that it seems that they're actually doing something. So I, I kind of think it's more along those lines. And as many of you guys know, I, I was a juvenile probation officer for many years. And that is, again, it's a, it's a big bureaucracy. And the things that I saw there, uh, you saw a lot of people who, who couldn't come up with an original idea if their life depended on it. And you saw a lot of people that would suck up to those that were higher up on the food chain than them. And those were the people that then, nine times out of ten, would be chosen for you know a, a, a good position in the agency or would be chosen maybe for supervisor. Not necessarily because that they're they're competent and they can do a good job, but the people above them know that they'll do as they're told. And that was my experience uh, with the bureaucracy that the government bureaucracy that I worked in. And I, I have no doubt that that other bureaucracies like the uh, the ATF and things like that that big parts of it are that way. If you and you know it's it's an it's a, a thing I've kind of talked a little bit about before, but when you're sort of the line staff or you're kind of the guy that's that's sort of you're you're where the rubber meets the road type thing. So when you're that guy and you're not involved in a lot of the decision making, a lot of times those are the people that are actually out there trying to do a good job and those are the people that do the majority of the work. And then what happens is as you sort of rise up into more positions of power into those type of places, you really lose touch with kind of what's going on at that ground level. I saw that a lot in my job, and I'm sure it's the same in other agencies as well. So, And also what happens is once you go up a little bit higher you want to make it seem like you're you're contributing and so a lot of times and what i saw in my job is you would see forms that would be designed and paperwork that would come down the pipe that was totally unnecessary and was redundant and all this other stuff so again i think some of this this ammo ban and some of the things that the atf does while a lot of times people see a big conspiracy or an evil agenda i think a lot of it could be chalked up to or could be uh, attributed to the fact that again these people are yes men they don't really they all they know what to do is uh, is to go by the book so this is what the book says so this is what we do and they search for things to make themselves look better so I do think that while we've kind of dodged the proverbial bullet bullet here excuse me uh, that we will be facing another uh, go around of this in the future so let's see what else has been going oh it looks like the big news uh, for people that are fans of glock of one uh, i am i am one of them is that the glock 43 came out or has been announced i don't know if it's been released yet but this is the single stack nine that everybody has been clamoring for you know, i guess for me i don't know if I would, would buy one of those, uh, you guys know that I have that car, the P380, 
and I really like carrying that. That's a really good pocket gun. I've shot it some and, and, um, I had some of my questions answered on that. We'll, we'll get back to the, to the Glock 43 here in a little bit, but I had some of my, some, uh, my answer, my questions answered about whether or not ballistically it would be better to carry hollow point ammunition or the ball with that 380. And from all the stuff that I could find out, it seems that the ball actually gave you better penetration. And so that if you were going to carry that as a primary, you may want to use the ball ammunition. Um, again, I, of the ball stuff, I don't know what, uh, if it, you know, what would be a good company to buy from. I would say, you know, pretty much any of the major manufacturers that are, um, that have a good reputation. So like, you know, Remington, uh, and as long as they're, oh, you know, like how in the reloading manuals, they have certain specifications and say that these are safe or these are accepted. I forget the name of the organization that backs that up or, or that, um, uh, does the standards of it. You know what I mean? Anyway, as long as the ammunition falls in those, and as long as you're going with a major manufacturer, you're going to have that. So if it was a company maybe that did a lot of their own reloading and they're kind of an independent thing, you just may want to check to make sure that all the specs are good. And especially if you're going to, if you're going to have this for defensive ammo or you're going to use this with the understanding that one day you may have to actually use this in a defensive situation, you want to make sure that you are buying from a company that's going to keep accurate records, keep accurate lots, things like that. So that if they ever, if there ever was questions or you had to go up into court, they could, you could say, well, I bought this ammunition from this place and it's this lot. And then they will, they'll be able to do the testing, which can determine maybe how close or how far away that type of thing. So anywho, but it does look like that again, that the ball ammunition would give you the better penetration, which on that 380 round, you may, you may want that more than the, um, any expansion that would, that you would get. It seems like, and again, I don't know all the science of it, but it just seems like that in some cases that the round would tumble and give you kind of a bigger wound channel. Again, again, this is all kind of anecdotal stuff. So, uh, kind of take it with a grain of salt. But uh, for me, I don't think I will go with the hollow point stuff. I think I would go with the ball ammunition. And I think that if it ever came down to it, if in a, if I was in a court, I could justify the reasons why I would, I would have that as opposed to the, um, the hollow point. Part of it again is the test that I, the test that I saw in the research that I did, you just didn't see, the level of penetration that if you were going by like the FBI standards, what they would want, you're, you're not seeing that with the hollow point. You just don't get, it's only getting like nine, maybe 10 inches and where they're going to want something like it's like 12 or 13 minimum. So anyway, that kind of ties into some of the other stuff. So, uh, what else is going on? Oh, I thought I was going to get back to the Glock 43. So let's talk about that a little bit. 
And uh, again, I had mentioned that I have the car P380. And one of the reasons that I wanted to have that is because I could have a very small gun, a gun that, uh, like I talked about before, let's say if we were just going to go down into Florida for a week and be hanging around there, I definitely would have taken that little car with me just because it's small, it's easy, easily concealed. Uh, and I would not feel undergunned. I know some people don't want to carry a 380, but I'd be fine with it. So anyway, let's, uh, let's get back to the old Glock 43. I haven't held one. I, in fact, I've never even held a 42, but I, it, it looks like it would be a, a fine little pistol. I don't expect any major surprises from it. I, I think it will be probably pretty reliable. I think that they'll have worked out any of the kinks before they released it. And I'm sure that uh, over the next few weeks, uh, within the next month or so, as more and more average Joes kind of get a hold of it, so to speak, and you can see some reviews on YouTube and things like that. I did watch one from, I think it was Iraqi Veteran 8888 or something like that, where he was shooting it and he didn't seem to have any problems with it. Um, reliability seemed to be there. They seemed to have worked out everything with the pressures and the recoil and all that other stuff. So I think, again, with that, as long as you you kind of go through, if you do get one, you go through and, and uh, do your due diligence with it and find out what ammunition is going to work well with it. I don't think you'd have any problems with it. So the question for me is, would I buy one or would I recommend that somebody buy one? And again, not having held it, not, not having other things to compare it to, I don't know. For a lot of people, I think it it's obviously a, a solution to an actual problem that they, that they have. And you can see that there are other small 9mm out there. So... I don't know, maybe if I had a shield, if I would run out and trade that and then try and get the 43, uh, if I was happy with the, with the Smith & Wesson shield or something like that, or if I was happy maybe with one of the, excuse me, one of the cars, uh, one of the car nines, that type of thing. I don't know. I think it's a neat gun. I'd like to shoot it. I don't know for me that I will ever buy one. Uh, I might, you know, in the future. I don't know. Uh, but like I said, for me, I don't really see that. I don't, it's hard after not, you know, not having even shot or held one. I don't really know size comparison, what it's going to be. It's going to be a lot thinner. I don't know how much smaller it is or how much bigger it is. That's, I don't know how much smaller it is than a 26. And I don't know how much bigger it is than a 42. Uh, so again, I don't know. Uh, but uh, probably the people that will go out and buy them is, is you know, uh, in some in some cases it would be a guy like me who just likes to, you know, have some handguns and likes to buy them and likes to own them and has fun shooting them. You know, if you don't really carry them that much, you know, it's fun to own them and, and have them. And occasionally they're going to, I'm sure it could meet the need. The one, you know, one good thing about it is if you do carry a, uh, a full-size Glock, like I usually carry a Glock 17. I don't know if you guys can hear that. My daughter's got some of her friends over, so you may hear some screaming kids in the background. So anyway, um, the controls and everything. So let's say if you carry a 17 or a 19 or even a 26 and you decide, well, I just want something a little thinner and I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. I know that I'll have a little bit less ammo in there. 
but I, I just want something a little thinner and, and, uh, but I, I definitely like the nine. I don't want to go with the 380, you know, that type of thing, but I wanted to stay with a Glock because I'm familiar with them. That's what I shoot, blah, blah, blah. So the, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that are like that. And I think this will maybe answer that, be the answer to that problem, quote unquote problem that they have. Um, uh, I don't know. I would have liked to have seen them, you know, come out with this earlier. I, I don't think they'll have any problem selling them. One of the things for me that I like about the car is it is very small. Now this has pluses and minuses. And again, not having the ability to kind of hold them up to one another and this, that, and the other thing. I don't know if the nine would be just a little bit bigger to where it, it wouldn't fit in with what I would want to do pocket carry wise, or as maybe a small travel gun to where I've got something to where if I can drop it into my pocket holster and slip it into the pocket and not worry about it because it just, it sort of just disappears. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. All right. Well, I think I've kind of beat that horse enough. So let's move on to, well, you know, speaking of these uh, kind of gun companies and why they do certain things and, and why they release stuff. A, a lot of times we tend to think of these gun companies of being these huge giants. And in some, in some ways they are, but if you were to compare it to something like Apple or to Nike, uh, or something like GE, they're, they're, they're tiny. Uh, even a company like Glock, you know, compared to some of those other mega giants. And I, I don't know why. And well, I guess in some ways I do know why. And in some ways I can understand why some of these things happen with certain of these gun companies. So, Remington comes to mind, and also SIG comes to mind. Now, SIG has released that, what is it, the P320 or something, which is their striker fired, and that seems to be doing, you know, really well. I, I, I don't really know anything about it, the other thing. But what I wanted to talk about with SIG was when they released their initial release of the SIG 556R. They seem to not understand the the people that they would be making that rifle for because they did things in in production that obviously were not taken the person the demographic in mind. So the people that would would want to buy that rifle, are generally going to be maybe AK people. And you would buy that rifle because you can say, oh, I can still use the steel cased ammo. I can use all my AK mags, but I can get better ergonomics. Hopefully I'll still have maybe some of the, uh, the same level of re reliability. But a lot of the stuff that I have, 
I will be able to, I'll be able to, to transfer over, you know, mainly the mags and the ammo and all the stuff I'll be able to use. Well, when they first came out with that rifle, they started saying stuff like, well, you can only use polymer mags and you can't, you don't really shoot steel cased ammo in there. And people were like, well, this, this rifle is kind of pricey. Why, why would I buy this if I can't use all this, uh, kind of use all the stuff that I got? So I'm going to have to go out and buy all new mags and all this stuff. And I can't, I'm going to have to find seven, uh, 7.62 by 39, uh, but only use brass. You know, I can't use the surplus thing. So surplus ammo. So anyway, so SIG kind of got a, oh, they, they got a kind of a black eye with that rifle and then they fixed the problems with it. And they have their Gen 2 rifle, and it works. And I know it works because I've talked about it before because I actually have one. I bought one used off a guy and got it for a decent price. And I've, I've shot uh, everything in there. I, I've got a bunch of old uh, steel surplus mags. I've got Egyptian mags. I've got uh, Romanian, Hungarian, Polish... And then I've got a few of the, I've talked about it before. I've got a few of the Tapco mags, which I don't really care for those as much. I know that some people really hate them. Some people think, haven't had any problems with them. For me, I think I would rather just have the steel mags. What I, uh, um, if you look at like how it latches into the gun on the on the magazine, that back tab, and even the front little notch, you know, with the steel magazines, obviously those are steel, so they're gonna, you're going to get a real good positive lock in and everything like that. And they're going to be good and tough. With those Tapco mags, they they weren't like the I think that was the old Bulgarian Circle Tens, which I think are the ones that had the the metal reinforcements around those areas. And those are kind of uh, sought after. You can still find them, but they're kind of pricey. They're, you know, you're going to pay maybe $35, $40 for them the last look. Maybe they're a lot cheaper now. I don't know. I, I basically just stopped looking at them and just went with the uh, with the Steel Max because I could get those sometimes for like 12 bucks if you find them on sale or sometimes you can find them at a gun show, things like that. And they're generally pretty good. They're, they're pretty cheap to rebuild too if you need to. Um, I've also got some of the Yugo mags, which the way the follower is, you get like a last round bolt hold open. Now, of course, when you take the mag out, there's no, it's the follower that's holding the bolt back. So the follower just, I mean, the bolt just, it just goes right forward once you take the mag out. Uh, but anyway, um, so Sig was able to, to do that, but that rifle has a reputation of being unreliable and not being designed to accept the uh, the steel magazines, which, of course, they went in, they, they upped the springs, they did some other things here and there. They There's a place in the magwell where it, they used a steel insert, so it, it took care of everything. Like I said, I, I haven't had any major problems with them. I had a couple of stoppages with them, but I think those were due to the brand new magazines that I were, was getting. I had some of the tanker, Hungarian tanker mags that are 20 rounders. 
And they were basically unissued, brand new, just sort of surplus stuff that they had that they were selling off. And so with those mags, I had a couple of uh, failures to, I think failures to feed uh, about two of those, maybe if I remember right. It's been so long. But after I ran a, a few mags through, I, I, maybe everything kind of broke in or any little burrs or whatever that might have been on, on the magazine or inside the gun got kind of lapped out and, and worked out. And I've, I've never had any problems with it since. And it's a good rifle. There are still some design flaws with them from an ergonomic standpoint, I think. Um, but there are some aftermarket parts that you can use that will sort of correct that. I was never that big a fan of the pistol grip, and I wasn't also a, that big a fan of the safety. It needs the the throw le- the lever on there needs to be just a little bit longer so that you can get it have a little bit better access with it to your with your thumb so that you're not kind of breaking your grip and all that other type of stuff. Now, uh, for me, obviously, I'm not out doing stuff to where my life depends on it, but it's just an ergonomic thing that makes it a little bit of a pain in the ass to have to mess around or work around with. Also with now kind of getting to another company that kind of really kind of screwed up was Remington. And so Remington's their name right now is kind of dirt and everybody's saying, Oh, they're no good and stay away from it because of the R 51 and some other stuff. And they're kind of, you know, they're kind of like the butt of a lot of jokes, but I bought used, I bought a, a Remington Versa max. I got the tactical version. I, I got it off a guy Again, he had bought it for a three gun, but then was getting out of three gun. So he was just like, ah, I just want to, I'm, I'm selling my stuff. And so I got it for uh, well below what you would buy it new. Uh, and the shotgun, what had happened was I think the guy had got into it and just found out, oh, this is going to be a little bit more maybe expensive than and time consuming than what I actually have time for. And so he got out of it. So I don't, I don't think he had been to that many matches. Uh, and, and the gun didn't really look like it had been run that hard, but again, I've taken it out. I've fired all sorts of stuff in through it and, and I've had zero problems with it. I think it's a fine shotgun. Now, some people again have kind of talked bad about it and they're saying, well, it's more of a three gun shotgun and not something that you would use for home defense, but I don't, I guess in, in, I could see a little bit maybe of somebody's point with that, but the reality is if I'm using that shotgun in my home for defense, I'm, I'm going to be bunkered in somewhere. So I'm, we're going to be in, in the bedroom or we're going to be in my daughter's bedroom and we're going to be waiting in there. So I'm not going to really go through and clear the house with it. Now I have gone through, I unloaded it made sure it was empty. And I just sort of went through the house with it. It's a, it's a bigger, longer gun. It's got, I think a 22 inch barrel on it. Um, and, and people will say, Oh, you can only clear a house with an 18 inch barrel. Is that, which is ridiculous. You can, you can work around it and everything. And it's not that difficult. It is a little bit longer. Uh, but again, uh, you know, if I'm doing that, it's, it's going to be probably because we're bunkered down and then, I'm going to like that because I've got more ammo that I can hold in the gun and uh, probably the the rounds that I have in the gun and on the gun will be sufficient. I know you never know what's going to happen, but this, that, and the other thing. But anyway, 
you know, a lot of these companies, I wonder if it's kind of that as they've gotten bigger and their own internal bureaucracy has increased, I wonder if that's why we're seeing some of this stuff. It, it seems that a lot of times with these smaller companies that you see that the quality uh, the quality kind of remains. Uh, maybe they're a little bit slower here and there, but they generally try and uh, put something out that's going to work. And I hope that's what Glock has done here. I know that there were some problems when they, with their Gen 4 stuff that they had, but and I don't know if that was maybe, a, again, a rush. And I don't know if it's maybe that's part of the corporate culture is just to rush stuff out there now. Whereas before, maybe that wasn't as important uh, to always have something new. Well, here's the new thing. Here's this. Here's that. You know, has SHOT Show and has the NRA annual annual meetings have have those become a form of pressure for these companies to where they feel they have to have something to where or they're going to be you know left behind by their competition it kind of seems that way a little bit to me i don't i don't know i'd like to see him say oh you know what we don't really have anything out that's brand new and whiz bang this year but our stuff that we released last year is still out there it's still good we have you know a very good track record with what we've got and you know here's here's what we're doing blah 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 you know we i I don't know maybe that's not the culture maybe that's not how you get higher market share and all that other kind of crap so anyway uh let me let me know if you guys have your thoughts i'd like to hear your opinions why do you think that companies like kind of like SIG and like Remington um, are doing some of these things that seem counterintuitive. Is it that the people maybe who are at the top, kind of like I was talking about before, is, is the, the people at the top don't aren't really connected with the people at the bottom or the people at the top are so far removed from the customer base that they're making decisions based solely on kind of bottom line stuff. And, you know, the reality is with that, I guess, is you, you still have to think about the bottom line. You have to be able to make money and maintain your company and be able to run it in a manner to where it stays afloat. If you don't, you know, you're going to go out of business. It's going to go away. So anyway, let me know what you guys think. I'd be, I'd be interested to hear that. Oh, let's see. Now, speaking of, of, some problems that I had. I went out a week or so before we left on vacation. I went out to the desert and I think I talked about how I was doing some modifications to my Ruger. And what I did is I did the uh, extended bolt release. I did the um, mag, the extended mag release and I did the auto bolt release. So I did like the charge, the bigger charging handle, the mag release, the bigger mag release, and the um, the auto release to where when you just pull back on the charging handle, once you've locked it back, you can pull back and just release, and it goes forward, and you don't have to mess with the uh, with the original uh, piece of crap thing that they that Ruger did. So anyway, I went out there, 
And I, uh, I had to do a little bit of, of, of uh, filing and fitting and this, that, and the other thing, and kind of some polishing and this, and uh, that to get it, to get that Volkhortzen part in. And I think I talked about that uh, on a previous show. So I went out and, and was going to do some testing because I've got the Appleseed event that's going to be coming up here in about oh, 21 days or so, something like that. Um, and I was using, what's it called? A, a Gila or something like that ammo. And uh, I went out there, I went out to the desert, I set it up and the gun ran fine. Cause I thought, well, with all these mods I've done, is it still gonna, is everything going to run well? And is it, is it going to be smooth? And where do I have any hangups to where I may be, and I may have to, you know, change some parts back. And the, actually to, to the only part that I really had any trepidation about was the larger charging handle. Um, because it fit in there kind of tight the Volkhortz, and like I said, I, I did have to do some filing, so I thought, well, maybe this might have some hang-ups or something, so I wanted to go out and shoot it a bunch, and and that way I figured, well, if there was some stuff, I could kind of work it out there, and I was shooting that, uh, again, I think it's called a Gila ammo, and it was the 40 grain stuff, just lead-nosed, and I shot maybe 50 rounds or so, out of one box, and then I just started getting tons of light primer strikes. So I didn't know if maybe it was that particular ammo, and unfortunately I had to be back at a certain time, and so I kind of ran out of time. So I'm going to try and go out, if I can, sometime this week. Uh, but I'm not going to go out to the desert. I'm just going to go to one of the local gun ranges, and I'm going to take, I'm going to clean the gun really well. And I'm going to take that uh, Aguila ammo, and I'm also going to take the, I don't know, I'm, I know I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, I don't care. And I'm going to take some of the uh, CCI that I'm planning on taking to Appleseed with me. And I'm going to run that and see kind of how it does. So I don't know if it just got so filthy dirty in there, but I wouldn't think that it would get that from just from, uh, you know, about 50 rounds or so. But uh, like I said, I, I kind of ran out of ammo. And with me, I didn't really have anything to clean anything. So I just thought, eh, I got to, and I, like I said, I had to be back at a certain time. So I packed it up. So what I'm going to do, like I said, is I will clean the gun really well, take it with me, and I'll take a little, you know, kind of a little bit of cleaning stuff with me. And I'm going to go to one of the indoor ranges here. And I'm going to, shoot some of the different ammo and I'm going to try and shoot probably around a hundred, 200 rounds of different stuff and kind of see how it goes. Now I know that that um, 22 ammo is notoriously kind of dirty and after a certain amount of time you need to clean it, but I would have thought I could have got more than 50 rounds. And maybe, like I said, maybe it's just that this stuff is just so dirty that it kind of gummed it up and it was sitting it back uh, just enough as it would cycle that when I went to take that next shot, it was out just a little bit more. Now I know I've, I've, I tried to do some research and I know sometimes people say, Oh, just replace the, the firing pin and maybe a couple other things. And 
that will solve any of the light primer strikes that you're getting. But it may just be like a cleaning issue. I don't, I don't know. So again, let me know what you guys think. If you get the email there, if you get the, uh, the show within the next couple of days, go ahead and shoot me a quick email. Uh, I'd be interested to know. I know there's a lot of guys out there that, uh, that are good 22 shooters and that have a lot of experience with it. I'm tending to, I'm tending to think that it was maybe the ammo. And it may have been because I shot all of from one box, one of the 50 round boxes. And then I went to go to the new box of that ammo. And that's when I really started having a lot of the, the issue. So I don't know, maybe it was just even that one little box. Um, and that's what was giving me the problems. Uh, I'd be interested in, I don't, I don't know. Well, speaking of 22 ammo, uh, let me run over here to ammo seek. Yeah, Aguila is was the name of the ammo. And I'm not sure where that's from. Um let's see. Let me look at some prices here. Oh, you know, there's tons of stuff. It's still kind of pricey. It's still, you know, about the cheapest I'm looking at is around about nine cents a round. Uh where it used to be around three or four cents a round. So we're still paying about maybe double. Uh, from some of that stuff. And I'm trying to look and see if there's any CCI. And I am not seeing any. I'm seeing some of the Remington and some of the um, Federal. Uh, let's see. CCI, Standard Velocity. I'm not. I'm trying to look and see if there's any Minimag stuff. And I am not. Most of it's just standard stuff. And it's kind of pricey. It's around 10, 12 cents around. Um, so anyway, I've got enough squirreled away to where I'll be able to do some testing and to do, I have enough for the shoot. And, uh, I always, I, I generally check every couple of days on here to see if anything, um, there was uh, some boxes of mini mags the other day. Well, this would have been about three weeks ago, but of course, by the time I got over to the thing to buy some, they had already sold out. Uh, and that's of the CCI mini mags. So, uh, let's see, I, I guess I should stop looking at this and kind of get back to the show and pay attention here. Oh, has anybody had any experience with like the CCI quiet or the CCI just standard stuff? I'm, I, I'm going to be taking some of that standard stuff with me to do some testing this week down at the range. And I'll, uh, I'll maybe even put out a, a quick mini show and, uh, and let you know how that goes. Uh, so let's go ahead and switch tacks here a little bit. Um, I am still pretty impressed, although I haven't got to shoot one yet. I am still pretty impressed with the HK VP9 uh, from from when I held it in the in the uh, in the gun store. Now, many of you guys know Daniel. I had Daniel Shaw on the show uh, a couple of shows ago. And he's out with uh, Thunderbird Tactical uh, out in Kansas. And uh, if you guys uh, get the chance, I would say, you know, go ahead and uh, see if you can and uh, get some training with him out there. And I know he's doing some traveling around and uh, you could probably um, go over there and find out where he's going. Maybe you could go to gunfighter cast to the website and it may have where he's going. I don't know, or it may have on Thunderbird tactical site, but anyway, 
the last couple of days he's been putting up some posts about his experience with the VP9. He's doing some classes and he's really kind of ringing it out. And it sounds like he is kind of impressed with it. And so I'm I'm looking forward to kind of getting his review. He's a guy that I trust. He's a guy that I, I respect his opinion. And I think that... Uh, some of the, you know, some of the, the people that you see on YouTube and things like that, they, they may have go to the range and they may have shot a couple hundred rounds, but they're really not using it hard. They're not in a class where they're using it over and over again or trying to, to kind of push the limits of the gun. So, uh, like I said, I am looking forward to getting his report over on Facebook and sort of seeing what he has to say about it. I am still of the opinion that I, uh, and will get this gun eventually. For me, it sort of meets all my needs. It's a, Yeah, it's a little bit bigger. Uh, but I think as sort of the word gets out more on it and as it sells more, I, I couldn't see any reason why HK wouldn't come out maybe with a compact version of it. If they do, will it have the same ergonomics? Um, I don't know. That would be interesting to see. But like I said, once once I get a few few things kind of settled down here and in fact I've, I've got a couple of guns I need to sell uh, but eventually I will get one of the I will get the VP9 and I'm planning on using that as my primary carry uh, again this is all kind of supposition I don't since I haven't I haven't had one I haven't had a chance to shoot it that type of stuff uh, you know I may get it and then once I shoot it a bunch I may be like oh boy I don't know but Man, from everything again that I've seen, it uh, it may be maybe replacing my Glock 17 as my primary carry. So we shall see. We shall see. I would, and again, if anybody out there has any has had any uh, maybe long term experience with it, let me know what you think. I'd, I'd be interested. I know that the magazines and stuff are a little bit more expensive to buy, but it's one of those things where. You know, once you've made that initial uh, outlay of money, you know, they're good steel mags. They're not going to go bad. You could store them for quite a while. So, um, oh, speaking of Daniel, I've been meaning, 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 excuse me, to mention this stuff for a while and just haven't, well, I always kind of forget. But if uh, Daniel's doing a thing where he's got those, the, uh, Tango Yankee project and um, it's it's a, it's a really neat idea I like about it. what he's got is there's this little poker ship just excuse me poker chips and what they say is you know it's a it's a Tango Yankee which would be the I guess military radio terms for thank you and the idea is that you would buy some of these chips and then if somebody does something that is nice or you see somebody doing something where you're like, oh, thank you for doing that. Or you see somebody maybe going kind of above and beyond, you would give them one of these chips as a sign of, you know, here, thank you. And, and uh, this is something that is kind of a, a physical, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? A, uh, a physical 
token of physical. I, I'm, I'm struggling here. Um, anyway, I'll just move on. You guys know what I mean. Uh, so you can go over there if you go over to, and I'll, I'll put a, a, uh, a, um, link in the website and I'll also put a link on the Facebook page in, in the firearms cafe section about that. Uh, but you can go over to the Tango Yankee project and then you can order a certain amount of chips and then you can, uh, some of the money then goes to help some of the wounded veterans and some of the, the veterans that are coming back. It's, you know, whether you agree with or disagree <clears throat> with why we're over there and what, and what the military is doing, the people that are coming back from there are still in need of assistance and in need of help. And I know a, a lot of people would say, well, you know, they've, that's what the VA is for. That's what this, you know, other organizations are for. But sometimes it's a little thing that, that maybe somebody who's not affiliated with that could do for someone that could help them a lot. That could, you know, you could show them your, your appreciation. And again, when I first saw this, I thought, well, oh, is this just something that's only for military people? But it's not. It's for, you know, it could be for anybody. If, um, if you go over to Daniel's Facebook page, there's some, and you can go over to the, um, the Tango Yankee Facebook page. And I think... Um, well, I know on Daniel's thing, there's a, there's a video where he talks about it. So anyway, um, go over there, check it out. It's, it's something that you can order, you know, for around like $20 or so you can get five of the uh, poker chips and you can hand them out to maybe friends of yours or to people that have done things or people that have maybe done some, uh, something that's been significant in your life or something that maybe you, you, admire or that they've maybe inspired you to do something, you could give them that and say, Hey, you know, this is a, uh, a physical token of my appreciation. And, um, you know, I just wanted to, you to have something that you could actually kind of hold. So, uh, one of the things that's on the chips that I really like is it says that what you do in this life matters. And again, it doesn't necessarily have to be military service. You know, it could be somebody that that uh, that you know is kind, or that you know that tries to do the right thing, or that uh, yeah, heck, if you even wanted to to get some and then send it to some of the spouses of some of the guys, or send it to some of the the family members of some of the people that have have gone over and served, I think it would be a good idea. So anyway, hopefully, I've uh, piqued your curiosity about it. Um, we do have one bit of feedback. I know the show is getting to be almost at the hour mark, but uh, I thought it was an interesting bit of feedback and I'll go ahead and read this out. And this comes from Dave and Dave writes in and he says, I'm not sure whether this is an armed ape or a firearms cafe question, but I'm sure you can figure out where to go with it. What is the most unpredictable item in your bug out bag? I spend about three hours a day commuting to and from work. I like to think I have a reasonably useful collection of survival items in my truck. 
water, food, multi-tool, heat source, clothing layer, spare boots, sidearms, extra mags, etc. My wife has a solid collection of shelter-in-place gear and closet. At home, there's really too many items to mention. I just wanted to get your thoughts on the semi-obscure items that people tend to forget. Thanks for the many years of your podcast and the time you put into replying to this. And that is, again, regards from Dave. So, Dave, thanks for sending that in. You know, it's a funny thing. While you know, earlier in the show I'd mentioned about that uh, we were in the down in the Bahamas and, and in Florida, and it was one of those things where I didn't really have any access to what I would maybe consider some of the preparedness items or emergency items. And I got to thinking about, well, what are some of the little things that I could have? And of course, once we were back in Florida, I was able to have my knife with me. And so I felt that, well, at least I've got some, some options there, here and there that I didn't have before. But specifically, you were talking about the bug out bags. And if we, if we look at those, they're, they're, they've kind of have evolved along with some of the stuff in the, in the preparation community. And there, there's also schools of thought about bug out bags have evolved uh, in time as well. And it seems that there's kind of like maybe three categories that you could sort of fit these bags into. And one of them would be called a, uh, an inch bag, which is a, I'm not, or I'm never coming home or I'm not coming home. And that's going to be generally a bigger bag. That's going to have a lot more stuff because you're, the idea is you're leaving from point A and you're hopefully going to go to point B. You're not just going to be out wandering around, but you're going to go to point B and you're not, there's no really plans for you to ever come back to your house. Maybe there's, there's been a natural disaster. Maybe there's, uh, you know, been a man-made disaster. Maybe, you know, I, I don't know. Um, in any way, it would either way it would be a a horrible, horrible thing to have to go through. So what you would have in in that bag is going to be very different from what you would have in a, a small bug out bag uh, or a medium size maybe bug out bag. And the bug out bag again is for from from you to to get from point A to point B, maybe within three four days, usually about three days. So the items that you're going to have in there are going to be a lot less than you're going to have in that inch bag or that I'm not coming home bag. And then you have another, another type of bag that people sometimes will carry or have with them, which is sometimes they'll call it a get home bag. So it would be if you were, uh, let, let's say like in Dave's situation, he's got a, um, what did he say? About a three hour, a day commuting to and from work. So I don't know if he's got three hours one way or if he's got uh, an hour and a half one way, which really wouldn't be that, uh, that unusual. Uh, so he spends a lot of time in the vehicle, but let's say that something happened to where again, some disaster happens and for whatever reason, roads are blocked or, you know, I, I don't know, whatever the situation is, whatever you want to make it up in your head to, to do that. But that, get home bag is something to where it's like, Oh, if I had to walk home or if I'm going to have to maybe spend a night out, what do I want? You know, before things maybe get back to normal or before somebody could get to me, what would I want to have in my vehicle, uh, or on or with me, uh, that could help me accomplish those things. Uh, 
And, you know, a, a lot of those things, uh, and again, let's, let's focus on maybe a little bit on that kind of that get home bag type deal, or maybe the bug out bag and we'll kind of stay away from the, the, uh, I'm not coming home bag. It used to be, you know, most people would focus on things like, well, I'm, I need stuff to start a fire. So they'd have like, you know, 18 ways to start a fire and they would have, you know, maybe 12 knives and, you know, two or three band-aids or this or that. And that would be about it. And maybe they would have, you know, a, a small firearm and three or four extra mags. But they they really wouldn't focus on maybe some of the smaller things. And, and some of that, like I said before, has, has kind of changed a little bit. The philosophies have, have changed. But there were... For me, you know, you kind of have to say, well, what do you want these bags, whichever one you're using, what do you want it to help you accomplish? Do you want it, you know, if you're depending on the situation and if I hesitate to use the term, you know, survival situation, but let's say if you want to be a a situation where it's a, it it can help you be more comfortable, it can help you kind of get through what you need to get through before you can get back home. And a lot of the items that people overlook, it seems to be, are hygiene items. And like I said, some of the, and this was especially in, when this stuff kind of first started gaining popularity. But I still sort of see it today. There's, you know, people generally would not take like a small tube of toothpaste, a, a small toothbrush. And you can, you don't have to have a full-size toothbrush if you don't want. You can have one of the little small travel toothbrushes. And you can get, you can go to Walmart or you can go to Target and they have the little travel section or the little, almost like a little sample section where you can buy a lot of this stuff for a dollar. You can go to Dollar Tree, you can go to Dollar General. Toothbrushes don't go bad. Uh, The toothpaste and stuff like that, as long as it's not from like 12 years ago, would probably be fine. So you could pick some of this stuff up just for two, three dollars. But I would say some hygiene items, uh, a way to where you can kind of keep yourself clean. Heck, even maybe like a little, uh, you know how like how the hotels have those little small bars of soap, things like that, that you could put like in a little Altoids tent to where it doesn't get crushed and broken up. The uh, toothpaste, the toothbrush. Uh, If you've got some food with you, uh, let's say, let's say maybe you've got a couple of little packets of ramen or something, um, or you've got some food bars or this, that, and the other thing. Um, it doesn't take too much preparation. Uh, let's say that if, that if you had something though, again, like, uh, like some noodles or some dehydrated food or something that you, that, that, and those can be done into a, especially if it's just going to be a couple of single servings type deal to where you can get those in a small, a small little packet. But having, even if you took some straws from McDonald's and cut them in half and then what you can do is you cut them in half and then you seal one end, uh, each of the ends. And it's easy to do. You just take a lighter and a pair of pliers. You melt the plastic and then you, you take the pliers and you crimp them and that will form like a good seal. The, the plastic melts together and forms a good seal. Take a little bit of salt, pour it in the, into the straw, uh, a little bit of pepper or a little bit of hot sauce, you know, whatever you want to add, to add some flavor. I think a lot of people kind of overlook those. And those may, instead of like maybe that get home bag, maybe those are, are more something for that three or four day, trip that you would have to be on. 
or if you were stuck somewhere at work for three or four days. Uh, it would be nice to have some of this stuff. Also, uh, maybe some hand sanitizer. Again, going back, a lot of the stuff I saw with the hygiene, a lot of people just didn't think about it. Also, you could have a few um, with the medical stuff. Uh, people tend to think, well, I'll need a tourniquet. I'll need these big Israeli bandages. I'll need the sling. I'll need this other thing. But they don't, a, a lot of times they don't think about, well, maybe I'll need some Advil. And again, you could easily, you know, even in the small little um, uh, tubes that you can get at at Safeway or at the, at the at Walmart or whatever, you can buy a small bottle of them. But if you think, oh, that's too bulky, you could easily take some Advil or some aspirin and again, put them in that straw or put them in an Altoids tin, something like that, that, that you've got them. Uh, and you may think, well, you know, I may not have headaches or this or that, but, uh, if, if it's a situation where something has gone bad, or if you were there some type of natural disaster and, and maybe you got hurt a little bit, it's not enough to where you can't walk around or anything, but maybe it would be nice to have some, some pain relief. Uh, but I, I tend to focus more kind of on the hygiene stuff. I tend to try and when I'm looking at, at putting this stuff together, I, I kind of try to ask myself, well, what, what state of being do I want to be in? And I want to be hydrated and I want to be warm and dry. And if you can accomplish those three things, you can, you can generally get by pretty well. Now those those things are uh, have a, will lend themselves out to kind of branch out like kind of on the on the equipment tree or whatever you want to say. But you know if you think about it, if if you just you want to be warm, dry, and hydrated, so hydration is is going to be the key, and then dry. You don't want to be too sweaty. You don't want to be wet. You don't want to you know you, you don't want to be in an environment where you're. Uh, where you're, if it's really cold, where you sweat it a lot, and now your your body temperature is going to get lowered. You don't want to be in an environment where, even if it's super hot, you know you you want to you don't want to be sweating all the time. Eventually, what will happen is, especially you know, with have had experience with this out in Arizona, it can get so hot sometimes that you go. And when I, when I talk about warm, I'm not talking about being like, you know, in 112 degree temperature. I'm talking about you're at a comfortable temperature. And, and it's the same with dry. You're not like sweating. You're not doing that. And if, and if you can maintain those things, maybe that means you have to have shelter. Um, and again, you can go so far off on different rabbit holes with this stuff. Uh, and I know that's probably not a lot of what you're talking about, Dave, but you were wanting to well with some of the, the odds and ends things. And again, if I, for me, it would be hygiene things. One of the things, and we'll kind of, I'll, we'll, we'll jump back on that because I'm, I'm going down too much down on a rabbit hole. One of the things that I, that I saw at a, uh, I saw them at REI and I saw them at, I think it was Sports Chalet. And I thought it was really neat was a, it was a little five, was it five liter? There was a five liter and I think there was maybe a 10 liter. I think the one I was looking at and get, getting was a five liter thing. 
or maybe it was the 10. I can't remember which. Anyway, it doesn't matter. What this thing did is it folded. It was a uh, kind of a nylon type material that was watertight. So that on the inside, what, and what it would do is it would fold out and it was like a camp sink. And so it would be like a little plastic, like a little bin that folds out and you can fold it up and put it back in its little case. And it's about the size, maybe, uh, overall size, maybe of like a, like a hamburger and then thickness, maybe of like, you know, like something like a, I don't know, like a Whopper or something. It's only maybe about like two inches thick and it's probably, oh, maybe four or five inches across, like a, a round disc. So it doesn't take up that much room. It doesn't, um, uh, it doesn't really weigh that much, but it's a container. It's a container that you can have for water. It's a container that you could have for cleaning things. It's a container that you could use to transport water, maybe from one place to another. It's a container that you can use to clean stuff if you had to, if let's say if water wasn't that big of a problem. And that would be one of the things that I would recommend that you guys get. Um, also, you know, you know, you don't have to use it for water. You could use it for other things. You could use it for gathering things, uh, for carrying stuff if you needed to. Um, speaking of carrying things, people may kind of think it's a little odd, but you could also have uh, a pillowcase. And not many people will really put those in there, but, you know, a pillowcase, is, it's easy to stuff a lot of stuff in there. They're generally, if you got one that was... Uh, they're generally pretty well made. They're generally pretty tough. You know, they're not going to be as tough as like the Cordura, you know, 1000 Cordura, whatever it is. 1D, what is it? 1000D? I don't know. Anyway, you know, they're not going to be as tough as that, but again, they fold up relatively small. They have multiple uses. You can use them uh, for carrying things. You can use them again as a pillowcase. If you stuffed like your jacket or extra clothing in there to when you were laying down, you could have something to rest your head on. Uh, if push came to shove, you could cut it up into strips and use it for bandages. If you had to, you could use it to bind stuff. Uh, you could use it for makeshift sling or splints. Uh, so things like that. Uh, anyway, in, in mine, that's, I, I have a few of these kind of oddball things. Uh, and it's, uh, none of this stuff is really original to me. Uh, some of them, I, I think I thought of them, but you know, it turns out that you know, somebody else had that idea way before I did. So there's kind of nothing new under the sun. Anyway, I think I've kind of babbled on. Hopefully, Dave, that answered your, your questions uh, or or kind of went down the road you wanted it to go down. If it didn't, uh, sorry about that. But uh, you get what you get. So anyway, uh, I do not want to forget to mention some of the other good shows that are out there. There's Modern Rifleman Radio with my buddy Ken. And uh, I guess he's kind of a buddy, Brian. I don't know. As much as, you know, a guy like that. Anyway, uh, there's, oh, there's also, I don't want to forget, I'm going to plug my own show too. I've got uh, the Arm Date podcast, so go ahead and give that a listen. Been doing a lot more movie reviews, and I'm going to kind of continue with doing those. I'm planning on putting out a show this week. Uh, also, there's Road Gunner, there's Gunfighter Cast, there's Gun Nation. Um, there's just tons and tons of stuff that's out there. Also, don't forget to join... Um, like the NRA joined the second amendment foundation. You know, I, I kind of glossed over the, uh, the whole ammo band thing and what kind of happened with that. But, you know, 
some people will say, well, this is the problem with, with things like the NRA. This is what the problem is with things like Second Amendment Foundation is everybody wants credit for certain things and sometimes, and maybe they played a part in it and maybe they, but they don't play as big a part as they're, they're trying to say that they've been playing. But don't let that stop you from sending them some money or joining up or joining their organization, becoming a member of those organizations. I think that in the big picture, they do way more good than they do harm. And if you look at kind of their overall track records, again, I think they're, they do more for us than they do against us. Sometimes they, they have some missteps and sometimes they stumble and sometimes they do things that are from, in my opinion, are just outright stupid or, or sometimes maybe seem too conciliatory. I understand that in the political games, there are compromises and ups and downs and give and take and things like that. I, I'm not naive enough to think that you can, say, well, we're no compromise, that type of thing. Uh, but some of the stuff they do is kind of like, oh, I think you kind of, you compromise a little bit too much or you sort of strayed from the mission of your organization. And maybe sometimes fear, fear grip them. You know, fear, those organizations can become afraid. They're They're headed by people. They're not just some you know, robot or something, you know what I mean? They're, they're, so those, the people that are in charge of that organization can get, uh, can get scared and get a little spooked and that, uh, but anyway, I still think it's important that we are members of those organizations and that we send them money when we can. Uh, oh, I also wanted to mention, um, the armed, uh, what's it? The armed couples that Toby and his wife are doing now. And then, uh, which is there's arm scrolls project. Um, and then there's like some of the, you know, the other big ones and stuff like, uh, gun talk and, and, uh, downrange radio, which are always good to listen to. And I think I mentioned it. I don't know. I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out, uh, but it's not, there's no malice intended. Um, and you know, I've mentioned this before, but, you know, you're not always going to agree with everything I say, and you're not always going to agree with, you know, everything uh, some of the other podcasters have to say. But, uh, you know, still give them a, give them a chance. And uh, if you disagree with them on something, write them. Let them know. Maybe they can explain, you know, kind of where they're coming from. And, you know, who knows? You might change your mind. Maybe you might change their mind. I've had people write into me and say, well, what did you mean by this? And it's not like, you know, they're demanding an explanation or anything, but they just wanted some clarification. Uh, let's see. You know, there's some other podcasts that are out there that aren't necessarily gun podcasts, but they're done by pro, maybe pro gun people or people that maybe they're not as, as diehard as I am, but at least they're like, well, yeah, you should be able to own guns and this, that, and the other thing. Uh, one good one is Penn Sunday School, the guy from uh, Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller. Uh, I had mentioned when Chaz was on with me, 
a few shows back about the Joe Rogan podcast. And again, I don't agree with everything he says and some of his views I think, eh, I don't know. Uh, but a lot of what he says I like. Uh, so give, of course, he doesn't need my recommendation. He's got, you know, millions of people that listen to his, his podcast all the time. But uh, there's a Joe Rogan experience, which is good. Uh, there's also Dan Carlin's hardcore history, which is a good podcast that I like. Um, there's another comic and he, I I like a lot of the, the philosophical questions he asks. And I like a lot about, you know, his, uh, again, a lot of the stuff he, he talks about maybe isn't necessarily right up my alley, but I like a lot. I like the fact that he asks the questions. I like the, I like the fact that he is willing to say, is, is what I'm, is what I think, is it right? Should I, ex- I like the self-examination that he does. Anyway, he's a comic and his name is Duncan Trussell and he has a podcast called the Duncan Trussell Family Hour. And, uh, you know, give it a listen. It may, you, you may hate it uh, or you may say, oh, you know, this is, uh, this guy's saying some stuff that kind of makes some sense to me. So anyway, um, I'm trying to think of some other, there's a new shooter Canada with George, uh, who I hope to get on the armed ape with me. Uh, one of these times here, there's, um, Oh, what's some other ones? Oh, there's Lou Rockwell. There's uh, Oh, I know what I just seen on my little thing here. It looks like pro arms has put out a podcast, which I have yet to check out on the Glock 43. So if you actually want somebody who, is uh, not talking out of their butt about it. You can go to them and kind of get the experts if you want it. Um, what else is there? I think that's about it. There's uh, Trevor and the two other guys that aren't Trevor over at Slamfire Radio. Um, anyway, I'm sure there's a bunch of them over there that I'm that I'm leaving out. All right. Well, I think I am. I'm kind of starting to babble. I'm starting to uh, see double and stuff. So I am going to bid you guys adieu. And I will talk to you guys next time.
devil has given him superhuman strength. Oh, 